Hello and welcome back. Mm. I like how there's always multiple seconds of silence as new viewers have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Today we are drinking everyone Arizona's own sarsaparilla. It is bottled here in Phoenix, Arizona by Big Head Brewing Company. Uh, it's been sitting in our fridge for far too long. It's gone slightly Ew. flat. But I <laughs> like it. Say it's that? tasty. It's uh, similar to root beer. It's It's got depth. It's got substance. It. I would definitely like it if it was more carbonated. But more carbonated. Yeah. Fair enough. No, I would recommend it. I've had a couple yeah, Arizona's own before. Uh, this, is, this is good stuff. Naomi. What are we talking about today? Well, everyone, welcome back to Why Will No Date These Guys with Naomi Guy and Joel Guy. The podcast where one of the hosts cannot remember he's on a podcast and just starts talking. Yeah, exactly. Today, we are discussing a topic that is near and dear to my heart because uh, currently the Supreme Court is dealing with a case about abortion. Joel, would you like to talk about why we don't talk about abortion in this country? Or the fact that we don't talk about abortion yeah, in this country. I mean, just, you know, for our listeners, this is the the weekend right after the Supreme Court just finished listening to oral arguments about whether or not people have a constitutional right to an abortion. It's uh, not looking good, folks. Uh, this is not something where I think a lot of abortion advocates are uh, hopeful for the future. It really, regardless of how the Supreme Court rules, it's likely going to open up a lot of opportunities for states to clamp down on abortion. Um, and so, given that, I would suggest you listen to our Texas abortion law reaction episode where we give you a number of suggestions of what not to do because it's illegal to do some of those things in case you need an abortion under a new dystopian regime. But yeah, to that point, Naomi, I think abortion is one of those like big debates in America. Uh, obviously people have very strong feelings on it one way or another. I mean, it makes sense. Like we're talking about whether or not, you know, the, the clumps of cells inside of you are human beings or not. Um, but the way it's often weaponized means that people who are often those who can least afford to fight against, uh, abortion restrictions are the ones who they get affected by the most. And it's frustrating because, Abortion restrictions do a lot of damage to families. They do a lot of damage to individuals. Uh, they do a lot of damage to society. And it's frustrating that so many countries around the world have loosened restrictions in many years, but it seems the United States is going backwards. My personal experience with abortion is I've paid for 15. No. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Uh, is that I had to take a number of mandated English classes when I was in college. ASU loves to... I guess, Make confirm you take, that you yeah. know how to string a series of words together. I the mean, it makes sense. very low. It, it makes sense just because I know that a lot of people, like, didn't even have any sort of, like, they graduated high school in the United States with no sense of knowing how to spell, like, simple words. So I understand why they do it. Uh, yeah, I get it. But it's also frustrating that there's no option to test out. You can, like, prove that you've passed, like, you know, with high marks in the ACT, but they don't let you pass the classes. They just have you take a single semester combined class instead of English 101 and 102. It's uh, 105. But in these classes, every single one I took would have, you know, assignments where they'd say, hey, we're going to learn how to write papers where you argue and you like come up with arguments and form like a claim and a warrant and impact and persuade people. And and they, they said this, they would always say this in such a way as this was the first time you'd ever heard that, you know, you could persuade people with arguments. But they would always say, you know, you can choose whatever you want to write on this except abortion. No, they also said you can't write on, oh crap, it was like politics because obviously that was during the Trump era. Oh, I didn't have office. that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah, because we were in college at different times. It was politics, abortion, and uh, God, there was another subject that was so controversial. I ended up writing about swingers, though, and like, poli like uh, not swingers, uh, the FLDS community. Whoa. Yeah. The FLDS and swingers are very different, Naomi. I know. I was just thinking about For swingers. FLDS listeners. Yeah, obviously so many. Yeah. Naomi's anti-FLDS statements. I have no... Okay, I do. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. Like, 
I understand there's a practical need to get people thinking critically about how to form arguments. And often for topics like politics and abortion, people's opinions on them have been formed long before they step into that class. And so they're both, A, going to be regurgitating a lot of stuff they've already heard, and B, not forming arguments that are persuasive to an average reader, rather persuasive to people of their similar mindset. And that's not really helpful in telling them how to debate. Yeah, it's because a lot of people have all of their thoughts about controversial topics intertwine with religious or political beliefs. Sure. We're talking about it today because obviously there's a lot of women in America who are going to be affected uh, by any Supreme Court decision. We, we think that whether or not you think abortion is legal is kind of irrelevant. We're sidelining that conversation right now because some people need them and we're here to provide info. But even if it is like super immoral, I've always thought that we often do horrible things as societies and just kind of ignore them. Things like carpet bombing third world nations or choosing to not end poverty on a daily basis. Like I'm not saying that like just because we do evils in one part of our society means it's okay to do, you know, if you think abortion is bad, evils in other areas. It's just something to think about because in many ways, my opinion is, again, regardless of whether or not you think it's immoral to have an abortion Abortion policy is often used as a cudgel to beat down poor, impoverished people. And I think whether or not there are restrictions in America, there will always be opportunities for wealthier women to travel around and get abortions if needed. And so ultimately, this is just a way of gendered societal control. And I don't like that. I'm not saying in like a libertarian way. I'm not saying in like a conspiracy theory way. I'm just saying it's easy to manipulate individuals and make life more difficult for them if you have laws that prohibit their behavior. And uh, I'm not a big fan of that, especially when it's utilized to to harm so many people. So Naomi, with that in mind, why don't we talk about what abortions are and uh, how people get them? Well, first, I want to touch on the fact that the Supreme Court is currently dealing with a case uh, against the state of Mississippi. Mississippi wants to ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So now the Supreme Court is seeing this case. And even though Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, we're still having to deal with possible abortion bans across the country. So uh, like we talked about in earlier episodes, obviously Texas has an abortion ban. Arizona has an abortion ban. Obviously they're limited, but you cannot access certain abortions in certain states right now. Roe versus Wade means yes, abortion is legal in all 50 states, but there are a lot of asterisks. Yes, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, I saw a great post the other day talking about, I think I just posted it today, talking about the fact that even though three of the Supreme Court justices currently holding seats in the Supreme Court were appointed by a man who tried to overthrow the United States government, they still get to sit. Sorry, sorry. That's not alleged. Uh, They still get to sit there and make decisions, even though they were appointed by him. So they haven't made a final decision, but they're currently um, hearing the case. And yeah, today I just want to talk about the basics of abortion. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand fully what abortion is, the options. Um, We're going to go over some basic questions that are asked a lot when people go into clinics. This is all information taken from the Planned Parenthood website. So I feel as if a lot of the times when talking to people that aren't like fully educated about abortions, they're like, oh, well, abortions happen even after birth. They just take the baby out and they break its neck or something like that. So as you know, we are a sex educate. We are partially a sex education podcast. So that's the reason why I want to talk about abortions. And since this is such a topic of controversy to this day, even though it's been over 50 years, no, almost 50 years since that was passed. But anyways. So uh, there are two ways to end a pregnancy, an in-clinic abortion and the abortion pills, and both are very safe and very common. So I'm going to go over both types of abortions and talk about some common questions that people are asked, some t- um, statistics. Before we get into this, yeah. where is this information coming from? This is, uh, like I just said, all coming from Planned Parenthood's website. Okay. So you can access this information in not in more detail, I literally took every square inch of information from their website. But if you have any more questions or need to call someone and ask more questions, you can call their hotline. I will pull up that number at the end of the episode. So a medical abortion is also known as the abortion pill. It's when you take medications 
from a trained doctor or nurse to end an early pregnancy. And an in-clinic abortion is done in a health center by a trained doctor or nurse. Both kinds of abortions are safe and effective. I, I think it's worth pointing out there's nothing that really requires a trained doctor or nurse to be the ones who hand you a pill. And often these procedures can be done by people who have like minimal medical training. The thing is, many states have carved out laws that say, okay, well, abortions are legal, but they need to be done in specialized clinics that have very specialized equipment that, you know, only trained doctors work at. And those restrictions work in conjunction to make it very difficult for someone to open up a clinic and operate unless they, you know, meet all of those standards. These are so, the asterisks that Joel yeah. earlier talked about. So, well, I, I think Planned Parenthood's correct that mostly in the United States, you're going to find these restrictions in place. There's nothing inherently about abortions that requires a trained doctor or nurse. Often you can either self-medicate or in other areas of the world, you know, have people who are not formally doctors perform the procedure for you and you'll end up just fine. So some common questions asked about an in-clinic abortion. How does an in-clinic abortion work? A doctor or nurse uses medical instruments and gentle suction to remove the pregnancy from the uterus. Obviously, this is a SparkNotes version of what actually happens, but that is what an in-clinic abortion is. It's not taking the baby out of the uterus and breaking its neck. It is usually done at the uh, beginning, first, second trimester. It's never done in the third trimester unless it, like needed, medically needed to save the mother's life. So how the, well does it work? It works at 99% of the time. Um, how long does this take? The procedure usually takes about 10 minutes, but the full visit usually takes a few hours. In some cases, state law requires you to take come to the health center for a separate visit before the abortion. And abortions later in a pregnancy may take longer and require more visits to the health center. So like Joel mentioned, there are asterisks. One in, I don't know if this is in all 50 states, but I know in Arizona, if you want to receive an abortion, you have to go to the clinic at least once before the actual abortion for counseling, just to talk through the procedure, ask any questions. They ask you questions such as, are you sure you want to do this and things of that sort. And then you make the follow-up appointment for the actual abortion procedure. So medication, abortions. You take a pill to end your pregnancy and it makes your uterus expel the pregnancy tissue like an early miscarriage. So it works up to 11 weeks. I think that's the last week that you can have a medication abortion. Eight weeks of pregnancy or less, it works 94 to 98% of the time. Eight to nine weeks, it works 94 to 96% of the time. Nine to 10 weeks, it works 93% of the time. If you are given an extra dose of medication, it works about 99% of the time. 10 to 11 weeks, it works 87% of the time. And if you were given an extra dose of medication, it works 98% of the time. So how long does an abortion take? Like I mentioned, obviously there are different kinds. So the in-clinic abortion took about 10 minutes, but um, we'll go into more detail about the medical abortion, uh, medication abortion, and see and talk about how long that takes. So your appointment at a health center would take a few hours, and then they'll give you the pills. It take, uh, You take two different medications up to two days apart. You may take both of the medications at home, or you may take one or both of them at the health center. Most of the time, if the abortion is over within 24 hours after you take the second set of pills, you'll have to follow up uh, you'll have to do a follow-up visit or a phone call to make sure the pills worked. In some cases, state law requires you to come to the health center for a separate visit after the abortion. So I think this is, you know, fairly straightforward. It all makes sense. And in an ideal world, you know, having an abortion is a simple, safe, non-intrusive procedure. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, in the world in which we live, uh, abortions, you know, they can be very uncomfortable. You know, your body might have adverse reactions to medication. Um, that's not to say that happens frequently, just that it can. You're probably going to not be in a good mental state, perhaps due to the circumstances of why you're getting the abortion, or because, you know, you just walk past a crowd of screaming people trying to, you know, take your head for what you're doing. Don't be that guy. Or women. I think... Oh, that was a meme. That's why I quoted that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just worth noting that if you look at the gender breakdown of, you know, abortion, anti-abortion activists, you know, it seems to be roughly equal. It's not just like misogynistic older white men who yeah. are trying to, you know, prevent people from getting rights. <laughs> well, is, except for at the ASU downtown campus. There's only white men protesting abortion there. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, like... Uh, a lot of women seem to have strong opinions on abortion as well. And 
I can recognize again, you know, these individuals think earnestly that abortion is murder and, you know, it's the worst thing in the world and all of that jazz. But in many ways, women can help uphold patriarchal frameworks just as much as men can. And for we shouldn't sure. discount their impact, not just because like they can be responsible for a lot of this behavior, but also because if you're trying to convince people to, you know, change their minds on stuff, you have to make appeals to both sexes. Anyways. That's a good point. I think that a lot of people that go in and protest outside of the clinics, if you drive by any Planned Parenthood on days of operation, even days when they're not open, you can see a line of people on the side of the street saying babies are killed here and stuff like that. I actually uh, went to a uh, Planned Parenthood as a part of a school project. It was for- Have an abortion. That's what liberal yeah. colleges do these days. Yeah, yeah. Every female student must Obviously. have an abortion. Yeah. No, um, part of the assignment was go to your hopeful future place of employment. I want to be employed by Planned Parenthood um, in the future. So I went there, took a picture, interviewed somebody that had the job title that I want in the future and got their card and left. Well, as I was leaving, I went with someone else because I didn't have a car at the time. I was a freshman in college. And um, they started to knock on my window and they're like, there's other options. And I was like, I'm sorry, I already had the abortion. Mm-hmm. And then y- you drive away. I scheduled away. my second one for this week. Yeah. I, I always felt bad because there's a clinic in uh, South Tempe it's on Baseline and uh, McClintock. Yeah, that's and, the one that I went to. Oh, that's the one you went to, yeah. yeah. But you drive past this and you wouldn't even know there's a clinic back there because there's like two rows of buildings. Mm-hmm. One, there's restaurants in front and then behind that in a like recessed parking area is the actual clinic. Yeah. And there's a Chinese restaurant and a Mexican restaurant <laughs> on the street and every so often I drive past and see babies are killed here and I'm like, what the hell? What are they doing in these restaurants? Yeah, I... Uh, it's interesting. Of course, there are typically restrictions about how far you have to be from the clinic to protest. But even if there aren't, the protesters want visibility. They want to be yeah. seen. So the interesting they'd thing, probably park on the street regardless. The interesting thing about that clinic is they just recently in the last year opened up a clinic right next door. That's a faith-based oh, clinic. Nice. It appears to be an abortion clinic, but they just go in and they give you all the other options. I, I don't know where I heard this, but I did hear anecdotally there are more faith-based like anti-abortion clinics around the country than our actual abortion clinics. You explained that in the last episode that we talked about, the Texas oh, I did. episode. Okay. Yeah, that was- I, I, I heard it from myself. You heard it from yourself. <laughs> no, yeah. It's really scary because they'll pose, you like type in abortion clinics near me or something like that. And they'll come up as abortion clinics. Like they advertise as abortion clinics. And then you go in and they just basically harass you into not having an abortion. But this one is right next door. So if you go up to Planned Parenthood, usually they do. Um, I know that before COVID, pre-COVID, they had people assist you to the clinic. So if you didn't feel safe, they are volunteers and, and they're, they're dressed up in cute little reflective uh, rainbow gear and they'll come to your car and, and walk you in to make you feel a little bit safer from the protesters. And they have them at basically every single clinic, Planned Parenthood around the country. So they'll come up and harass you as you walk into the clinic. And like I go in because like I practice safe sex and like I go into Planned Parenthood to get STD testing and I think that it's like great and they're, they they don't like make you feel uncomfortable in any way so that's why I visit Planned Parenthood but like literally every single time that you walk into a Planned Parenthood man woman other gender any gender they'll harass you they'll be like oh you're obviously going in there to get an abortion I'm like yeah I obviously am even though I'm not pregnant but thank you I'm scheduling Um, it for future exactly I think that's worth emphasizing I don't know if we brought this up in the prior episode but 95 to 99% of what Planned Parenthood does is not provide abortions. It's 3% of the actual like procedures that they do is abortion procedures. 97% of their uh, of the other healthcare that they provide is vaccines, uh just they're basically a Birth community control. Yes, they're basically just a community health center affordable healthcare. Um they do walk you through different payment plans. You can pay in cash there. Literally it is such a great concept, but it has such a bad rep because of all of the people that don't like abortions. So let's move on. So some common questions that are asked before an abortion is performed. 
are these questions that a doctor is going to ask you or just these are questions these are faqs that are asked to the healthcare provider before the um, procedure occurs so these are questions that are asked by clients something that i do want to mention before going into these common questions is we are just talking about the protesters outside of clinics More times than not, when talking to people that provide abortions, um, I volunteer at Planned Parenthood. I do tabling and things for them. They are, I'm talking to providers and I'm like, hey, like, what's this like? More times than not, I get the response, well, I have a lot of people that don't like abortions come in and receive abortions from me and they're shaming me actively as they're getting the abortion. So they'll come in and they'll say, I need an abortion. I'm so many weeks pregnant. I need an in-clinic or a medic, uh, medication abortion. They go through the process, but as they're going through, they're like, I can't believe that you're doing this. This is so sinful. Like, I can't believe that you're providing this procedure to people. Babies are the only humans moral abortion too. abortion is my abortion. Yeah, exactly. So that's something that I wanted to touch on before going into common questions. I, I had, I, I saw this online recently I think that the term was like main character syndrome or like, yeah, it's this idea that a lot of people think that the world revolves around them and only their experiences can be rationalized and explained away because they're the main character of the story and everyone else is just a non-playable I am. Character. The world revolves around me because it's my world. You're not helping, Naomi. This is not a, <laughs> I'm not bringing this up to be like, and those people are the best. Um, and, uh, Often, you know, in in the example you're talking about, I think you you see that mentality where those individuals think that the only people who get abortions are those who are doing it because, you know, they're lazy and they're slackers and they're immoral and, you know, they're they're welfare queens and all the negative stereotypes tied in there. And they can only imagine someone having an abortion if they're a bad individual. And so when they themselves find that they have a need for an abortion, well, that's okay. It's not necessarily the procedure per se. It's that these individuals, you know, are are exploiting the system and, you know, being heathens and all of that. But you, you have an excuse. And this is something that I think a lot of people fall into. Like if you are driving along the road and someone cuts you off, you immediately make presumptions about that individual based off of the actions. But that's just like a microcosm of – who they are as an entity. It could be that, you know, they weren't paying attention because they themselves had just gotten cut off in another lane. It could be that they are rushing to get to work because, you know, their boss is a asshole and if they're late one more time, they're going to lose their job and not be able to take care of their pregnant wife. It could be that, you know, they uh, are rushing their pregnant wife to the hospital, right? There's plenty of explanations. And even if, you know, they cut you off, that doesn't necessarily make them a bad person. Again, that's just a microcosm of the total essence of their being. Moral of the story, don't drive, it's scary. That is the moral. (laughs) No, I I guess what I'm just saying is I I think it can logically track where someone's like deeply opposed to abortion, but still gets them. And it's unfortunate they don't make the connection that, oh, people get abortions for lots of different reasons. Uh, The experience of you having one is probably very similar to the experience of people you're screaming at. Yeah, we will go over later in the episode some common reasons why people do decide to get abortions. Obviously, everyone has unique reasons why. Not every reason is the same, but um, we will go into that in a little bit. Do you mean literally the next page of our outline? Yeah. Oh. So is abortion the right option for me? Abortion is very common and people have abortions for many different reasons. Only you know what's best for you, but good information and support will really help you to make that decision that is best for you and your own health and well-being. Obviously, I'm not a healthcare provider. I don't provide abortions. I like to support abortions because I'm a pro-choice queen, but I would say that if you're looking into um, having or considering an abortion, obviously do a lot of research, make sure that it is the best option, talk to people, get opinions from healthcare providers. Do not worry about what your relatives, your family, your friends will think because if you think that it's the right decision, then nobody else's opinion matters. Uh, I'm going to slightly oppose what you said. I think it's perfectly okay to just be like, oh, I'm getting an abortion, not even have to think about it. I think people are so bound up in this idea that there's this, you know, moral gray zone surrounding abortions that they have to microanalyze it and come with all the good reasons to have one and all the bad reasons they shouldn't have I'm one. I'm not no, saying yeah, yeah. it like it's that. It's totally okay if, you know, you say, oh, I'm pregnant. I can't afford to have a baby. I'm going to go get an abortion tomorrow. I'm not saying it in a moral sense. I'm saying it because it's literally a medical procedure. 
Okay, fair point. In and that regard, me, no, I understand that. And me, personally, when I get a tooth pulled, which I, I will be getting in January, I like to go in and know all the information about the procedure before having the medical procedure. That's all I was trying to say. Uh, I'm not sure why you said I'm getting a tooth pulled in that tone. It's like, hey, I'll be able to <laughs> fit more food in my mouth, <laughs> boys. Ooh. Ew. <laughs> so why do people have an abortion? If you're thinking about having an abortion, you are not alone. Millions of people have faced unplanned pregnancies every year, and about four out of ten of them decide to get an abortion. Some people with planned pregnancies also get abortions because of their health or safety reasons. Overall, about one in four women in the United States will have an abortion by the time they're 45 years old. Sometimes the decision is easy, like Joel just said. Other times it's complicated. But, but either way, the decision to have an abortion is personal and you're the only one who can make it. Everyone has their own unique and valid reason for having an abortion. Some of the many different reasons people decide to end an abortion include they want to be the best parent possible for the kids that they already have. They're not ready to be a parent yet. It's not a good time in their life to have a baby. They want to finish school, focus on work, or achieve other goals before having a baby. They're not in a relationship with someone they want to have a baby with. They're in an abusive relationship or were sexually assaulted. The pregnancy is dangerous or bad for their health. The fetus won't survive the pregnancy or will suffer after birth. And they just don't want to be a parent. Deciding to have an abortion doesn't mean you don't want or love children. In fact, six out of 10 people who get abortions already have kids, and many of them decide to end their pregnancies so they can focus on the children they already have. And people who aren't already parents when they get an abortion often go on to have a baby later when they feel that they are in a better position to be a good parent. The bottom line is deciding if and when to have a baby is very personal and only you know what's best for you and your family. Uh, I thought there was a good BoJack Horseman episode on this. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, yes, it's a comedy, but they do a good job, I feel, of exploring a lot of issues that are near and dear to people's hearts. And in one episode, uh, someone who does tweets for celebrities accidentally tweets out for one celebrity, I'm having an abortion, which causes a bunch of people to be like, oh, my God, famous dolphin pop star, 16 Aquafina is having an abortion. And like this raises a whole hubbub. And at first, this pop star doesn't like the publicity, but then she realizes that a lot of women are finding empowerment in the fact that she was like promoting this. And so it turns this into this whole like media spectacle where she's like, I'm going to do a music video about my abortion and oh, all of this. And, you know, does this, you know, it gets out of hand pretty quickly. And at the end of the episode, she learns, the pop star learns that she in fact is pregnant and is like, I don't know, maybe I do want to keep this one. And then they get into, you know, how do we cover this up? How do we prevent the public from learning about this now that everyone thinks that she's, you know, very pro-abortion? But the idea is, you know, ultimately it's people's choice and people's choices can change over time and the circumstances can change as well. But I, you really don't want to discount the fact that a lot of people who have abortions already have multiple kids, right? It's not as though they like murdering babies on a daily basis. It's that they've already had enough kids and they know they you know, don't have the economic resources or even like the mental ability to continue having children. Uh, you know, there are people who try to get uh, sterilized, you know, get a vasectomy, yes. uh, get their tubes tied in order to, you know, not have more kids, but those procedures don't work all the time. So oh. someone might be having, you know, sex with their significant other and they yes. want to have sex for pleasure and they are firmly committed to the idea of not having babies. But then, oh, lo and behold, uh, the the person who can get pregnant gets pregnant and now they're in a bit of a bind. And, and that's, you know, again, people who did what they thought they needed to do made all the right rational choices, but still ended up with a baby. And it's what are you supposed to tell them? Like, have that kid donate it to a loving home? That's that's not a good answer. I would also like to quickly touch on the misogyny in healthcare. If somebody is seeking out to get their tubes tied as a woman, just sterilizing yourself so that you do not have children, it is a irreversible procedure and it is a final decision that you make. Many doctors do not allow women to get sterilized without having either their father's permission or their husband's permission. And if they have not had a child of both genders assigned at birth, they can get sterilized because the doctor refuses to make that decision because they think that the woman will then decide against it and later regret the decision. 
And keep in mind, a lot of people who try to get sterilized are not doing this because, you know, they hate kids or because, you know, they think that there's no chance they're ever going to have kids in the future. They do it for health reasons. Like, they could do it. There's people also have really people, bad periods on a consistent There basis. is also people that just do not want children. They don't think that that's their life purpose. It's okay to not think that having children is your life purpose. It's okay to not want children. It's okay to not like children. Don't be kicking them, but <laughs> make sure that when you go and seek out healthcare providers that you have one who's on the same page as you and will allow you to make those decisions. To that point, I, I've heard of, I haven't ever seen it, but I've heard there is a map and directory of doctors who are pro tubes tying who uh, you, you can you know look up online in advance. You don't have to go in and have awkward conversations where people start slut shaming you or decide to tell you that's your husband's, your future husband's choice and whether or not you get your tubes tied. So yeah, we'll try to find a link to that and post it in the episode description. Uh, but yeah, there are resources out there if that's something you're interested in. You do not have to sit through all sorts of lectures by well-meaning but condescending individuals. I don't think they're well-meaning. Anyways. They think they're well-meaning. What can I think about to help me decide? Families, relationships, school, work, life goals, health, safety, and personal beliefs. People think carefully about these things before having an abortion, but you're the only person walking in your shoes and the only person who can decide whether to have an abortion. The decision is 100% yours. Let me repeat that. The decision is 100% yours. If you are an individual who's capable of having a baby, the decision is no one else's but your own. You have to be the incubator. Nobody else has to carry that child. Here are some things that to consider if you are thinking about an abortion. You don't have to consider these things. They're optional. Are you ready to be a parent? Would I consider adoption? What would it mean for my future if I had a child now? What would it mean for my family if I had a child now? How would being a parent affect my career goals? Do I have a strong personal or religious beliefs about abortion? Is anyone pressuring me to have or not have an abortion? Would having a baby change my life in a way I do or don't want? What kind of support would I need and get if I decide to have an abortion? What kind of support would I need and get if I decide to have a baby? Decisions about your pregnancy are deeply personal. You hold the power to make decisions that are best for you. In order to stay on your own path to a healthy and meaningful relationship, there are lots of things to consider, and it's totally normal to have difficult feelings and thoughts about making this decision. That's why it's important to get factual, non-judgmental information about abortions. Support from family, friends, partners, and other people you trust can also be helpful, but at the end of the day, only you know what's right for you. I think it's worth emphasizing that it can be totally fine if for whatever reason you decide to go through, have the child, and give it up for adoption. But people who say adoption exists as a way of saying, well, abortions are unnecessary, ignore all the damage that pregnancy does to women's bodies. Like, pregnancy is not smooth for most women, right? Your body is changing shape and changing form to support an infant inside of you. It is uh, going to stretch out. It is going to cause potential tissue damage. It's going to give you nausea. It's going to give you cramps. You're going to be irritable. You're going to have weird cravings. You're, you're mentally exhausted because you're not sleeping well. You're constantly getting beaten up by a little thing punching inside of you. It's 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 stressful. And for some people, it's well worth it. But especially if you, know, you were just planning giving up for adoption, like – that's a lot to put yourself through over a period of nine months. It's I'd also not realistic like, for a lot of individuals. Yeah, I'd also like to talk about the fact that there is a lot of misogyny in childbirth as well. So when you're having a baby at a hospital, which a lot of women do, you can only have a baby in one position, which causes a lot of tearing between your vagina and your anal cavity. So um, when this happens, certain doctors will be stitching you up and give you an extra stitch down there, which causes a lot more damage than you would think to ensure that your partner gets a little more tightness down there, if you know what I mean. So keep that in mind. A lot of misogyny around giving birth and not everyone can afford a doula who is trained to come in and um, have you give birth in your living room if you would like in any position that you'd like. I know that if I were to have a child, I would want to have a child at home. I wouldn't want to have a child in the hospital. Obviously, there are restrictions to that. You can't have it. It can't be a high risk pregnancy. Um, but like I just said, 
it's not possible for everyone to have a doula come into their home or a midwife come into their home and receive care from those providers. So who can I talk to about getting an abortion? Lots of people lean on others to help them make this decision. It's good to choose people who you know are understanding and supportive of you. Your local Planned Parenthood Health Center has caring professionals that can answer any questions you have. They give you expert care, accurate information about your options, and non-judgmental support along the way. No matter what you decide about your pregnancy, other family planning centers and private doctors also talk with you about your decision. No one should pressure you into making any decision about your pregnancy, no matter what. So it's important to get the info and support you need from people who give you the real facts and won't judge you. If you're having a hard time finding someone in your life to talk with, check out All Options. All Options is a free hotline that gives you confidential space to talk about making decisions about a pregnancy. They'll give you a judgment-free support at any point in your pregnancy experience, no matter what you decide to do or how you feel about it. When do I have to make a decision? It's important to take the time you need to make the best decision for you. It's also a good idea to talk to a nurse or doctor as soon as you can so you can get the best medical care possible. The staff at your local Planned Parenthood Health Center is always here to provide expert medical care and support no matter what decision you make. Obviously, this is a biased information because I literally copied and pasted it from the Planned Parenthood website. I don't think it's biased to say get people to give you no, I'm right. saying the Planned Parenthood part where it was like, that's oh. the only healthcare center you can go to. Oh. Obviously, you can just go to your uh, primary care physician or an OBGYN. Sure, but I think to that point, as you were saying, there are a lot of crisis pregnancy centers around the country. And so the Planned Parenthood map, frankly, is probably your best yes. stop first thing to see what's in your area. If you can't find one, that's when you should start looking for resources and other clinics. Is abortion safe? In clinic and medication, abortions are very safe. In fact, abortion is one of the safest medical procedures out there. Planned Parenthood leads the country with the most up-to-date medical standards and guidelines for healthcare, including abortion. We regularly review new medical research and get updates from groups with like the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Serious problems after an abortion are very rare, but like any medicine or medical procedure, there are some risks, and you can learn more about them on their website. How will I feel after having an abortion? You will get written aftercare instructions and a phone number you can call if you have any questions or concerns. You may have to come back for a checkup or lab work after your procedure. Plan on resting after your abortion. You can usually go back to work, school, or most other normal activities the next day. Avoid hard work or heavy exercise for a few days. You can use pads, tampons, or menstrual cups for your bleeding, whatever is the most comfortable for you, but your nurse or doctor may recommend you use pads so you can track how much you're bleeding. You can have sex as soon as you feel ready. Most people feel fine within a few days or two, but it's common for bleeding to last for a week or several weeks after the abortion pill. Cramping can happen for a few days. It's certainly normal to have a lot of different emotions after your abortion. Everyone's experience is different. There's no right or wrong way to feel. Most people are relieved and don't regret their decisions. Others may feel sadness, guilt, or regret after their abortion. Lots of people have these feelings at different times. These feelings are unique to having an abortion. People feel many different emotions after giving birth, too. It's rare to have serious long-term effects on your mental health after an abortion, but everyone's different and certain things can make coping with an abortion hard. Most people feel better if they have someone supportive to help after an abortion. But even if you don't think there's anybody in your life you can talk with, you're not alone. Your nurse or doctor can talk with you or you can find a licensed counselor or non-judgmental support group. You can also call Exhale or All Options free after abortion talk lines. They will give you confidential and non-judgmental emotional support after your abortion, no matter how you're feeling. Will an abortion affect my health? Abortion is safe unless there's a rare serious complication that's not treated. There's no risk to your ability to have children in the future or for your overall health. Having an abortion doesn't increase your risk for breast cancer and it doesn't cause depression or mental illness issues. Abortions don't cause infertility either. In fact, it's possible to get pregnant quickly after you have an abortion. So it's a good idea to talk to your nurse or doctor after about a birth control plan for your for after your abortion. Do you have any moisture left in your mouth? No, it's all gone. Yeah. So Naomi, is there anything else about abortion procedures you feel is worth emphasizing? I feel like I went over all the main points. 
the main point of this entire episode was to ensure that everyone was aware of not only all the options that you have, but also the fact that that is what an abortion is. And that is how people go about abortion procedures. Fair enough. Uh, there are a couple of other things I wanted to talk about. There <laughs> uh, is an interesting conversation to be had about whether or not the United States is in line with what the world thinks about abortion procedures or kind of going off in their own direction. And at that point, I found an article October 28th of 2019 written by Rachel Vogelstein and Rebecca Turkington in the Council on Foreign Relations. And in it, they kind of compare abortion law around the world to see whether or not the United States is an outlier and had a couple of comments about this. So abortion rates are relatively similar between countries with highly restrictive abortion laws and those are the procedures permitted without restriction at between 34 and 37 per 1,000 women annually. So I guess that means if you know 100 women, it's a thousand. Oh, okay. Uh, 3.4 of them. (laughs) Sure. Let's say three of them will have an abortion (laughs) annually. Um, That's, Pretty, pretty surprising. That's, that's, you, you probably know someone who's had an abortion. However, the safety of the procedure diverges widely. About 90% of abortions in countries with liberal abortion laws are considered safe, compared to only 25% of those in countries in which abortion is banned. The average abortion rate globally has dropped 5 percentage points since 1994, and up to 19 percentage points in industrialized countries. According to the World Health Organization, approximately 8% of maternal deaths worldwide are due to complications from unsafe abortions, almost all occurring in developing countries. So I'll touch upon this a little bit later, but I think it's worth emphasizing this multiple times. Just because you ban abortion doesn't mean abortion goes away, right? We we fought a war on drugs, and that doesn't mean drugs are inaccessible. It means now there's Apple Store-like dispensaries on every corner. It also means that a lot of people of color are now in prison for being in possession of drugs. Fair point. I guess what I'm getting at is just because we crack down does not mean magically the morality of our country is going to improve and this horrible procedure is going away. Really, it just means that you're going to murder more women, which is why I think I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, these things tend to hurt poor women the most, believe it or not. Although the legal status of abortion varies considerably by region, almost every country Again, every country permits abortion under some circumstances. Globally, only six countries ban abortion entirely. Most industrialized countries allow the procedure without restriction. About 125 countries have some restrictions, typically permitting abortion only in limited situations, including for socioeconomic reasons, risks to the physical or mental health of the woman, or the presence of fetal anomalies. Access to safe abortion has been established as a human right by numerous international frameworks. The UN Human Rights Committee and regional human rights courts, including the European Court of Human Rights, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, and the African Commission on Human and People's Rights. At the 1994 International Conference on Population and Development in Cairo, 179 governments signed a program of action that included commitment to prevent unsafe abortion. The WHO first recognized... The WHO, uh, not the band. <laughs> the World Health Organization first recognized unsafe abortion as a public health problem in 1967, and in 2003 developed technical and policy guidelines that include a recommendation that states pass abortion laws to protect women's health. According to the UN Population Fund, addressing the unmet need for family planning would both considerably reduce maternal mortality and reduce abortion up to 70% in the developing world. Interesting. So, how does the United States compare? Well, in the 1970s, the United States became one of the first countries to liberalize its abortion laws, along with several Western European nations. In 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court held in Roe v. Wade that the Constitution guarantees women the right to have an abortion. We mentioned this. In 1992, Planned Parenthood v. KC reaffirmed this right, but permitted regulations such as waiting periods and parental consent requirements. Since KC, state laws regulating abortion have varied widely. A growing number of states have passed legislation to prohibit abortion after just six weeks. A law passed in Alabama and made ban abortion in virtually all cases, with no exceptions for rape or incest. If allowed to take effect, it would render the state home one of the most restrictive abortion laws around the world. I looked, I don't, didn't see a list in this article of which countries, the six countries they cite, banned it entirely. I don't know if they discussed that, but they do have a map, and it looks like it's a couple of countries, maybe Iran, Chad, Madagascar. Unfortunately, my African geography is not the greatest. But yeah, it's, it's very limited. Most countries will offer it with, you know, mild restrictions. 
The global trend in abortion law has been towards liberalization. Since 2000, 29 countries have changed their abortion laws, and all but one, Nicaragua, expanded legal grounds on which women can access abortion services. In the past year alone, Ireland legalized abortion by referendum, and South Korea's high court declared, declared the country's abortion ban unconstitutional. Although some countries have taken steps to expand grounds for abortion, some, including El Salvador, Poland, and the United States, that's us, are enacting policies to tighten restrictions. China liberalized its abortion law in the 1950s and promoted the practice under its one-child policy, which was enacted in 1979, an effort to curb population growth by restricting families to one child. The policy under the abortion, under which abortion services were made widely available came with severe coercive measures, including fines, compulsory sterilization, and abortion to deter unauthorized births. China raised this long-standing limit to two-child policy in 2016, along with other incentives to encourage population growth amid a rapidly aging population. Activists fear that the government seeking to control demographics could once again use coercive measures to impose restrictions on women. We did talk about this in one of our current events episodes, I think the October one, where they've now brought it up to three children, and that could potentially just be due to workforce issues. It's good, you know, if you have a giant population boom to try to prohibit people from using up all your resources, but then you have the issue where suddenly your population has gotten super old and you need younger people to take care of. They also have an issue where there's not enough women because they have a male-centered society. I've always been of the opinion there are too many women taking all the college degrees, as we've discussed in prior episodes. Oh, dear Lord. This is not a, a actual endorsement by Joel Guy. I feel that's worth emphasizing. you got to stop saying things that will get us canceled. That get clipped out of context. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's what abortion looks like around the world. They do touch upon some other nations in particular, but that's, you know, I think a good comparison to where the United States is right now. Pew Research had an article from 2020 talking about how whether or not state laws reflected the individual will of the people. So on January 21st, 2020, Jeff Diamant and Alexandra Sandstrom wrote about this. They talked about how in 2019, lawmakers in seven states enacted laws that could, if they withstand legal challenges, ban the vast majority of abortions in these states. A new analysis by Pew shows that in those seven states, as well as others that have enacted various other restrictions, public opinion tends to run much more against legal abortion than in states that have not passed these laws. So those seven states are... Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. In these states, the majority say abortion should be illegal. Now, in many other kind of Rust Belt, Middle America states, there's no majority that says either abortion should be legal or illegal. And then in many states along the West Coast, the Northeast, and then Florida, the majority say abortion should be illegal. Our view of public opinion data shows that the majority of adults in four of those, Mississippi, 59%, Alabama, 58%, Kentucky, 57%, and Louisiana, 57%, says abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Opposition to abortion falls short of majority opinion in three other states, Missouri, Georgia, and Ohio, but anti-abortion sentiment in those states is still higher than national average, which is 39%. A majority of Americans, 61%, believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases, and consistent with those views, a Pew Research Center survey conducted in summer 2019 found that 59% of the public say their greater concern is that some states are making it too difficult to get an abortion, while 39% are more concerned the states make it too easy. Uh, so... That was a very comprehensive analysis of 35,000 U.S. adults across all 50 states. Uh, I'm interested to see if that data uh, changes after a year and a half of COVID. Oh, Lord, now I guess we're closer to two years of COVID. But yeah, wondering if people's opinions have changed in any way due to lockdowns and having to spend significantly more time with their kids or alternatively being single without kids. I don't know for certain. Um, But again, the idea is that Most U.S. states um, have some kind of measure within their state law that says if Roe versus Wade is overturned, immediately abortion becomes illegal in those states. But only seven U.S. states, again, 26 states have the provision, only seven of them, the majority of people firmly say abortion should be banned. So I'd argue a lot of these laws do not reflect the will of the voters within America. I mean, that's true of a lot of U.S. policies. The things that tend to pull quite well are not the things the government's working on at any given moment. But yeah, again, just food for thought about the current state of abortion in America. There was one final thing I wanted to talk about, and that was a couple of general arguments about abortion from a slightly more progressive point of view. It was written in Current Affairs by Brianna Rinnix and Nathan Robinson in 2018. Um, But the article discusses some of the reasons people have abortions and why the debate often is focusing on the wrong things. 
It's very easy to understand why abortion is one of the most contentious and irresolvable political issues in the world. One side insists that abortion is murder and that outlawing is of moral necessity. The other side does not believe it's murder, sees it as a fundamental right, and views any legal restriction as an infringement on women's bodily autonomy. There can be no reconciliation between these two positions. The pro-choice slogan, if you don't like abortion, don't have one, will never persuade the other side. To someone who truly does think it's the taking of a human life, this phrase is about as compelling as saying, if you don't like murder, don't commit one. Different conceptions about the moral status of the fetus, which are matters of instinct and religious belief that cannot be resolved through appeals to reason, make compromise impossible. At the same time, although it's obvious why abortion is very divisive moral and politically, from another perspective it's odd that it should be a difficult issue to resolve. After all, no woman wants to have an abortion and no woman enjoys her abortion. In an ideal world, she wouldn't ever have to have one, but we don't live in an ideal world. Women may view it as anything ranging from an unfortunate inconvenience to an emotionally wrenching and painful decision, but it's obviously never something done for pleasure. That means, even for advocates of choice, it would theoretically be desirable to have as few abortions as possible. Hillary Clinton is sometimes criticized by the pro-choice movement for using the formula safe, legal, and rare, on the grounds that her use of rare implies stigmatizing and discouraging abortions. But there are multiple ways in which legalized abortion could become rare. It could become rare because, while it is still technically illegal, practicing obstacles and social practical obstacles and social pressure are put in the way of women actually exercising the choice to abort. Or it would become more rare because of other social and economic factors that have changed, such as motherhood being actually supported and subsidized so that it isn't prohibitively expensive and difficult to raise a child, the erosion of male dominance, meaning fewer controlling partners refusing to use condoms, and methods of birth control continuing to improve. Everyone would ideally want a world without abortion in it then, because even in the pro-choice formulation, it's a remedy for a problem rather than a pastime. The divide between the pro-life and pro-choice positions is therefore not quite about whether it'd be better if there are no abortions, but whether abortion should be legal or not. Michelle Oberman, in her body Our Laws, explains these two questions are often conflated, but are actually quite different. The criminalization of abortion is not the elimination of abortion, as we mentioned earlier, and there is good reason to think that making abortion illegal would not substantially reduce its occurrence. She traveled to Chile and El Salvador, both of which have strict laws prohibiting abortion, and discovered that abortion is widespread in both countries, thanks to black market availability of abortion drugs like Mifepristone. The law may symbolically declare the government's position on the moral status of fetuses, but symbols and consequences are not the same. The laws do have consequences, though. They may not successfully eliminate abortion, but they do make it more difficult and dangerous for women to receive them. Predictably, these harms have fallen almost exclusively on poor women. Wealthy women can simply leave the country and have the procedure performed elsewhere. It's the poor for whom abortion is criminalized and for whom breaking the law actually possesses risks. Oberman reports in El Salvador, when women are turned into the authorities by doctors who suspect them of having induced abortions, the reports come almost exclusively from public hospitals. In private hospitals, where patients are wealthier, doctors strictly honor patient confidentiality. As a result, those women with the least money are often the ones most likely to be prosecuted. Even worse, because it is often impossible to tell the difference between ordinary miscarriage and the intentional at-home abortion, Salvadoran women have been imprisoned for the crime of simply losing a child. So there's a couple of points that we've just gone through. The first one is the debate about abortion is about whether or not abortion should be legal, not about whether or not abortion is like immoral or weird or we should get rid of them. I think that's a really interesting argument and one that people should chew on a bit more. The second one is whether or not you think abortion should be legal or not. If it's illegal, it's going to impact people who are just minding their own business and have a miscarriage, right? In a world where you can be prosecuted and put in prison for having an abortion, people who are pro-life and hate abortions are going to be put in prison because they have accidental miscarriages. Like that's something that already occurs in the status quo. There's no reason to think that if we continue to crack down on abortions that it's going to magically go away. Right. So even in a pro-life formulation, you should still think about the consequences towards women who don't like abortions because they're going to face them just as well. Does that make sense? Am I crazy? You're giving me again a skeptical look. I don't know if you're hungry, uncomfortable. I understand what you're saying, okay. but I feel like we've talked about these topics in the last abortion episode. Fair enough. Okay. So to get through the rest of this article, while members of the U.S. pro-life movement often claim they do not intend to prosecute women whom they see as second victims, Oberman says there's reason to fear the criminalization of abortion in this country would harshly affect the destitute and desperate. In fact, when American women are often prosecuted for having abortions and when women have been charged with legally attempting to end their pregnancies, they've been treated as monsters rather than victims. Uh, we cite an example in our most recent current events episode. She cites the example of Pervy Patel, an Indiana woman prosecuted for feticide after ending her pregnancy using an illegally obtained abortificent. 
Patel was originally sentenced to 20 years in prison before her conviction was overturned. Since Roe v. Wade was passed, over 400 women in the United States have been prosecuted for legal abortions, and nearly 60% of them have been poor women of color. If one truly cares about ending abortions, the first task would be to examine the reasons women seek them. We did discuss this earlier in the episode, but we didn't get into the stats, and I feel the stats are quite revealing. When women who abort are asked why they do not want to have a child, 74% say that having a child would interfere with education, work, or their ability to care for dependents, while 73% said they cannot afford a baby. Abortion rates are high in the developing world and low in the developed world, and they've been dropping steadily over time. We would expect pro-life conservatives, if they wanted to make it more likely women would choose life, to strongly support family-friendly policies like paid parental leave, and universal free childcare. The easier it is to raise a child and the more support one receives, the more likely a woman is to decide she can go through with the pregnancy. So again, three out of four of all abortions are done for financial reasons. So the expectation is, if you're criminalizing abortion, that the 75% of people who are currently having kids will magically be able to like take care of their kids in this new future. And I don't think that's going to happen. The end result of this policy is just going to be more children in poverty or more women who decide to go through the legal procedures because they realize there's no economic way they can make this work. One woman said she was firmly pro-life, but since her house had just burned down and she was uninsured, she simply had nowhere she could raise the child and didn't know how she could manage motherhood at such a difficult time. These are hardships that can be mitigated through compassionate public policies. If one is truly pro-choice, then naturally has to be a choice, and it's a fundamental tenet of left politics that choices made under conditions of economic necessity aren't really meaningful choices at all. The aim should certainly be to reduce to zero the number of abortions that occur, because women cannot afford to raise children. And for all the conservative complaints about single mothers living on welfare, to make raising a child financially realistic, the government will actually need to make sure single mothers don't need to work full-time. There is therefore a version of the pro-life position that can be respected, one that is actually about life rather than about law. A person could sincerely believe that fetus is life, but advocate improving the conditions of motherhood rather than using a criminal law to punish the poor and desperate. The problem with the pro-life position is not the particular view that it takes on the moral status of an unborn child, but it responds through advocating policies that do little to help unborn children while using the blunt instrument of police power to dissuade women through threats rather than through help. That's what I wanted to say about it. It's a good article. I will also link to that. This is going to be a very lengthy podcast description. Yeah, really well. Uh, at some point, our podcast will become obsolete and we'll just post descriptions <laughs> of our content in like the description each no, week. No, no, no. Our podcast will literally just be links. It won't be any content. It'll just be like www. Or we're like a HTTPS. Yeah, exactly. This is the date these guys weekly email where we remind you of what's going on in the world. Exactly. Uh, this week, we tried Sarsaparilla. By Arizona Brewing Company. I don't like its name. Sarsaparilla? Yeah. It's traditional. It comes from the sarsaparilla root, I believe. Oh. Just I like thought it was just like a mon- from the I, th- I thought it was just a name. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure there's a root okay. called sarsaparilla. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know at what point people started brewing it. And we're like, you know, it would be good if we brewed this random root with some sugar, maybe a little carbonation. How did people find out, like, meth? That's my question. You know, when we were younger, I had a lot of questions about how stuff was named. And I recall that I once asked our parents how carrots were named. Yeah. And dad was like, well, there once was a guy named Samuel Carrots who was running from a tiger and tripped over his feet and fell into a patch of weird vegetables. And the tiger didn't see him and ran off. And he was looking through these vegetables and was like, what are these weird orange vegetables? And he was like, my God, I've discovered a completely new vegetable. I shall name it after myself, Samuel Carrot. <laughs> Needless to say, everything I know about vegetables comes from our parents. Yep, it comes from dad specifically. Yeah, I don't know if, mo- if our mother ever gave us any horribly inaccurate perspectives on no that's where this joel does this thing where like i'll ask a question and he'll just give me a very long answer about like just the weirdest topic i'll be like oh why what is a one horse town so there's this one time that i asked what a one horse town was and joel went into like this 30 minute explanation about one and what what a one horse town was and all of it was just pure bullshit just Start to finish bullshit. You see, dear listeners, mining towns back in the day (laughs) could only afford one town. The prospectors were so poor, so they'd have to share it. And this is actually where the Red Scare came from in America, because the government was concerned people would get used to sharing all of their resources. So anyways, this is why the Pinkertons killed all the miners, because they were concerned that Mao was coming to America. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have siblings, because you can manipulate their brains i hate you it's great 
nail me. I think this was this was good. I feel we covered some good information. I feel like that we did said, too. Abortion again is a very complicated topic. People have a lot of very strong opinions on. If you are listening to this and have further questions about abortion, feel free to send us an email or you know message us when we post this episode and be like, "What's the deal with blankety blank?" We love hearing from our listeners. We also like to mention that if we were your top podcast this year and your Spotify Wrapped, please let us know. I will be posting um, screenshots and I will tag you. We don't have a lot of people that will follow you back, so there's literally no reason and no compensation of why you would do this. Uh, excuse me, we um, have merch. We can give people merch. Oh if shit! Nice yeah, to us. we do have merch. So yeah, keep that in mind. If you do listen to our podcast, you probably live in an area we can easily either mail or deliver stuff to. So yeah, except let us for know. Alaska, we'll pick some of our favorites and uh, we'll make sure you get some uh, some loot so you can properly represent us when you're out in the world. And then we can tag you more and just never any process. Oh man, is this growth? Is this where we this hit is the growth. big time? This is growth. That's what awesome. I'm talking about, baby. I'm excited for takeoff. Well, thank you again for listening. Have a great week, guys. We have many thanks for the use of our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketza. You can find more of their music online at ketza.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at Date These Guys, or visit our website at datetheseguys.org. If you have questions you'd like us to discuss in the podcast or marriage proposals for either of us, shoot us an email at datetheseguys at gmail.com. If you're looking to make an impact, this show recommends giving either time or money to Planned Parenthood, a nonprofit organization that provides reproductive health care in the United States and globally. Planned Parenthood clinics and affiliates provide birth control and long-acting reversible contraception, clinical breast examinations, cervical cancer screenings, pregnancy testing, prenatal care, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections, and abortions. Planned Parenthood also does great work for those who can't afford traditional medical services. Approximately four out of five of their clients have incomes at or below 150% of the federal poverty level. Both Joel and Naomi are monthly donors to Planned Parenthood. You could be too. The intro and outro music of Why Will No One Date These Guys is from the song Drop by the artist Ketza. It is licensed through Creative Commons, and we are deeply appreciative that they've allowed us to use it. 